Good morning. Happy Sabbath. Good morning. Let's begin class with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for temperatures above freezing. I want to thank you for this day and what it represents. I want to thank you for this opportunity to learn and to teach. Uh, well, thank you for this class and, and what it uh, has done and, uh, and on an individual basis and a corporate level. I ask your continued blessings on the, the class uh, as a whole and the members that make it up. Uh, we ask your uh, watch care and travel mercies uh, with Tim and, and as he is in the Pacific Northwest. Be with those of our group who are not able to be with us and bring them safely back in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, my name is Russell Atkins. For those of you who've been living in a cave the last decade, two weeks is about all I can spend away from this class before I really start feeling hungry. I don't know if it's just me, but we serve spiritual meat in this class, and I sometimes take it for granted. We're doing lesson five uh, in the quarterly. The lesson is titled Stewards After Eden. My first thought when I saw a Sabbath lesson was, wait a minute, what, what, was, what was Adam and Eve's, what was their stewardship before the fall in Eden? What were they to do in Eden? How were they to be stewards before they fell? Any thoughts? They were to have dominion. Okay, so they were given dominion. Uh, that's a, dominion's a big word. And depending on, depending on your background, depending on your law construct, dominion can mean several things. In an imposed imperial law construct, what does dominion mean? You dominate. Yeah, it means domination. It means you arbitrarily construct rules and regulations, and when those aren't obeyed, you arbitrarily impose fines and punishments on the breaking of those laws. What does dominion mean under a uh, design, natural law construct? It means to be taken care of. All right. Well, that's that's a wildly different definition. How many would agree that God has dominion of the entire universe? Yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of a no-brainer. How does He behave toward his, his created beings in the in the universe, fallen and unfallen? Love. He loves them. Thank you. He's constantly giving of his energy, his his life giving force his his uh, revelations of his character for their betterment that was that was that's key to what adam and eve had what their job for stewardship was pre-fall why were they created in the first place what's our understanding that for for the reason that the humanity was created as evidence as evidence of what in the accusation of what God was like and how he governed his methods and principles, we were to be evidence to refute those accusations. Okay. In other words, the state of the universe at the time of creation was not one of peace and, and happiness and unity and understanding. and There, there was a problem. There was a problem at the time of creation. There, there were... There were issues, there were allegations that had been made. There was war in heaven, according to Revelations. And Satan and his angels fought against Michael and his angels, and they were cast out of heaven. So certain, certain allegations had been made about God's character. This is, this is our great controversy understanding of, of the problem. God said, 
All right, universe, here is some evidence. Let there be light. Yes? Well, maybe we can say that that was a secondary reason, but I think for love and communion, and I mean, that love is giving and love expands and love needs others to share love to and to return love. So it kind of makes it sound like we might have been just pawns in a play, a grand chess game that was trying to be won. Yeah. While I think that there is a component of that, I think the reason why we were created uh, is higher than that. That it was for a relationship, because love can't exist without... That's true, but who knows how many billion angels and other intelligent beings already existed in the universe at that time. And to my understanding, uh, humanity had some different abilities and capabilities to the angels. A, which is already mentioned, we were given dominion over a certain certain little rock here in the universe and and b we were given the ability to bring forth life in our own image to my knowledge angels don't have the ability to procreate but we were also given place this is where the devil was given authority over he was here first am i not correct this is where he was... It's where it gets muddy. Uh, yeah, I, the theory is that he it's, was... We were given free will, as we believe all beings are given free will in love. Um, we were given those, maybe the procreation and dominion, but that free will came under duress in a way that other beings did not have. They didn't have the... Uh, over, maybe they didn't have it quite in their face. Well, um, hmm... I can't remember the reference, but um, according to according to somewhere in Ellen White's writing, she suggests that uh, other other uh, intelligent beings also had a tree or a symbolic tree, uh, and once their minds had been made up that Lucifer's allegations were were lies, the tree was removed. In early writings, she sees Enoch in a world that has a tree, and the tree is still there. It's about the seventh chapter in early writings. This is after his translation? Yes. Yes, I, I, you're right. Love is outward seeking. Love is giving. Love, love enjoys companionship. I still think there was something unique about humanity. But that plan of redemption was thought of before yeah. the foundations of the earth. You Correct. Know, so this theater and spectacle, I think it had a very specific purpose. And yes, I do believe love can't help but create. It's it's what it does. You know what I mean? As an outworking of itself, as an outworking of giving. I think evidence was, was a primary um, reason. And you know, I don't Simply because we choose to, we chose to abuse our free will, and we basically gave away our dominion to, to Lucifer, to Satan. He didn't already have dominion over this space. They were just in darkness. Um, I, I don't, I, Satan usurped Adam's dominion, and he, and he falsely, I mean, the dominion, you know, the 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 earth is God's creation. You know, Jesus, the being we know is Jesus created. Everything we see and everything we do and everything everything we are, so and, and created our abilities to bring forth life, in a new life ourselves. So you know, Satan 
is a um, imposter. He's a usurper of that dominion, but it was never given to him. I don't think it was given to Adam. Adam squandered it for a bite of a piece of fruit. Could it be that also to this world, like Lori said, you know, was uh, there had to that God is all knowing, and there had to be some way for the remedy to come. Yes, if Adam and Eve hadn't fallen, then the remedy wouldn't have been necessary, right? There was still sin in the universe. There was, but if Adam and Eve had done their job, had had held to their original task of stewardship, to come together as one to bring forth new life and to then sacrifice of themselves for the betterment of their offspring, I think the universe would have said, oh, this, this is what... This is how God behaves. He's not a he's not a, a power monger like uh, like was alleged. But because but because we we failed and because Adam and Eve failed in that uh, in their job of stewardship, then the universe had to wait all the way through time until Jesus of Nazareth came. God him God himself, Emmanuel, God with us. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. And he allowed his created beings to nail him to a cross and murder him. Then the universe said, oh, now we get it. It wasn't until that stage. I mean, it it took, what, 4,000 of of human years at least, maybe more? Lori? They also would have exercised their will at the tree by choosing not to believe lies, to trust in God, and their characters and minds would have been continually changed into the likeness of, right. of God. That's right. So there was lots that they could have shown the universe on the positive side as well as what they actually showed on the negative Correct. So, uh, <laughs> back to my original question. What were they stewards of pre-fall? The earth. Okay, stewards of the earth. I'm thinking, I'm thinking bigger picture. Stewards of one another, good, yes. Of the knowledge of God. I mean, they walked and talked yes. with God. Thank you. Okay, good. Yeah, stewards of of the character of their creator. Okay? But this is the, I think this is the same thing angels are stewards of and every other created being on the planet, in the universe. Every, every being in the universe has something to teach another being about the, the knowledge of God. And in, uh, it's, it's understood by me that we will we will teach angels. Angels don't know what it's like to have a a character transformed from um, a selfish, sinful human being to one who would would rather die than than take another one's life. They don't know. They don't understand that. The unfallen angels they've they've never they've never had fallen characters. All right, so. Did did Adam and Eve's stewardship change after the fall? Did God expect anything different of their stewardship? I don't think so. I think their stewardship now now their fall made the made things a lot more difficult, but I think their job remained the same. Any thoughts? Am I off base? Yes. The responsibility 
to continue on the knowledge of God and have a relationship with him were still intact. Their success rate had changed dramatically. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The job got infinitely more difficult because of the infection, uh, the terminal infection of sin. But I don't think their job changed. This is from Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle and all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, now, this is pre-fall. What needed subduing? Wasn't the earth created perfect? Fill the earth and subdue it. Control what happens. Well, what would have needed to be controlled? Well, where you plant, what you transfer, what you transplant, what you uh, care for. Okay, but I'm, I'm still not seeing anything that would have needed to be subdued. Just to protect it from evil. Oh, so there was something that needed to be subduing. They had to keep everyone safe and protect them. Pre-fall? Mm -hmm. No. Sure. Uh, what, didn't uh, Lucifer fall before they were created? He did. So evil existed before they did. Existed before their fall. Okay, so there was a force, there was an entity existing on Earth and on a perfect Earth. Yes? Where? At the tree. Only at the tree. One tree, we've talked about this. One tree, one garden, on the entire planet. But it was in the middle of their house. trees. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how big the garden was, but I'm pretty sure they could have avoided that room. But still, right in the middle of their house. In a, in a perfect creation, there was a force, an element, that needed to be perhaps subdued. Um, or the tendency to be drawn to that element needed to be subdued with, with character development, with the exercise of... Um, Exercise of free will, of, of making correct choices, of being in a trust relationship with their designer and strengthening their will through the correct choices and, and judgment and reason and conscience. Maybe that was the subduing that needed to be. So throughout life, we have to be temperate in everything. We have to use our judgment in our eating and our exercise in every activity that we do. I think that's going to continue throughout eternity, that we're going to need to always be temperate. Absolutely. And, and, and why? Better question is why? Design. That's how we're designed. There's never going to be a time when I can lie in bed for two weeks and eat chocolate. <laughs> well, you could, but you shouldn't. Yeah. Okay. And what, is, what does Paul say? All things are acceptable, but not all things are beneficial. It's acceptable to lie in bed for two weeks and eat chocolates. It's totally acceptable. It's not hardly beneficial. 
And the beautiful part about the design is when one uh, uh, chooses well and chooses wisely <coughs> and feels so much better because of it. Uh, they actually had in some of the wellness studies where they have people divided in where they can eat their normal Western-style diet or they go to that whole foods plant-based. Uh, when it's time to switch, the ones who were on the healthy and now are supposed to go back, they're like, I don't think so. I feel so much better the way that, uh, that I currently am. And so the study has uh, an attrition rate because folks don't want to switch back once they find out how good they feel. I'm not going to go back to that deep fried pork gristle sandwich anymore, huh? Um, I am listening in my car to Could It Be This Simple? I read it multiple times. Right. Just went over the chapter on the hierarchy of the mind. And I think even in a perfect world, perfectly created, we were designed to subdue our feelings. Yes. And our feelings want to, that's how we're tempted, is what James says. And they want to play a more important role than our reason and our judgment and our conscience. And so I think those were always designed to be subdued to the more reasonable, rational parts of our minds. Uh, well said. I agree. Um, this is from Genesis 2, 15 through 17. The Lord took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Okay, this is part of his stewardship, to tend the or to keep the earth. And he commanded the man, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. This is a very important text. Okay, this is God being unselfish. He's being um, completely, he's not withholding anything of benefit from mankind. Of every tree you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. What was the first lie that Lucifer told Eve? It was before that. Did God say you cannot eat of the trees of the fruit of the Garden of Eden? And what did she do? Tried to correct him. And here we are. <laughs> this is from Councils on Stewardship, page 15. Every good thing of the earth was placed here by the bountiful hand of God as an expression of his love to man. The poor are his, and the cause of religion is his. The gold and silver are the Lord's, and he could rain them from heaven if he chose. Let that breathe a little bit. But instead, he has made man his steward, entrusting him with means, not to be hoarded, but to be used in the benefiting of others. He thus makes man the medium through which to distribute his blessings on earth. God planned the system of beneficence. In order that man may become like his creator, benevolent and unselfish in character, and finally be a partaker with Christ of the eternal glorious reward. Okay? In both the Old and the New Testament, there are, there are quotes. The old one is from God, and the New Testament is from Christ. It says, the poor you shall have with you always. Okay? There, there are certain elements in the world today that that they they choose to to um, eliminate a belief in God because of those two statements they think no 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 we can eliminate poverty we can we can get rid of it we're humans we have the capabilities to eliminate poverty this was never God's design even pre-fall there would have been wealthy and unwealthy 
Yes. I don't think wealthy, unwealthy is God's design. I think it is when the design has been crossed, when we are no longer following his design, that it falls into poor and rich. I, I don't think God's design and how it will play out in heaven is a hierarchical system of, of wealth or lack of. Oh, his, so, system, his system is freedom of choice. Exactly. And it's right. freedom of choice that you have the poor and the wealthy. I think some people in heaven will choose to have homes that are decorated more beautifully than others. And, and the ones who choose not to decorate their homes beautifully won't care. And neither will the ones who choose to decorate beautifully. In fact, if someone comes, oh, I love that. I love that emerald you put there for a wall. Here, take it. <laughs> when Tim asked a few weeks ago about the streets paved with gold, the part that struck me so much is that is such an example of God's unselfish love of what he creates is put there for the enjoyment and the, the benefit and the, the ability of others versus the human response of, wow, that's good, mine. Uh, and the, the, the greedy nature of the, the selfish heart and the brokenness of that, of uh, the, the hoarding and the rest. Yeah, I mean, it's, it dovetails with this, this passage here. He, he could rain gold and silver from heaven if he chose. The spiritual purpose of having poor for all, forever is for all of us to develop benevolence. Yes, and why? We need to develop that ability to share with others. Because, because it's designed. The, the law of beneficence is, is part of design law. It's part of how, it's how God created life to operate. The giving, the constant giving. Wait a minute. You're saying that God, it's God's design to have poor people on no. purpose? No, it's God's design. That's not what I'm saying. It's God's design that we, that we be unselfish givers. Yeah, I understand that part, but I'm not sure. I don't think Jesus said they will always be here forever, that that is God's design on purpose. No. We can learn from it, and we help people and all that, and but... That's not going to be fixed until he comes back again. That's part of sin on this earth, the reason why they're here. Again, let's imagine we're in heaven now. Everything you see is communal. I mean, there will be no ownership. Right. So, so what difference will it make? I don't think you can have complete freedom of choice. Even if you have equality of opportunity, you're going to have inequality of outcomes. Right. We're all different. Right. Well said. But for God's statement and for Christ's statement of the poor you will always have with you was not a decision to make it happen. It was a statement of being. Statement of reality. Yes. And so that. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't an edict from. It wasn't a mandate that that made it happen. Thank you for clarifying that. Possessions, because we'll still have that rule: thou shalt not steal. So you can't steal if people don't have things. <laughs> well, I'm not sure we will have that rule. I mean, I. It'll be in our I don't know the. Yeah, uh, the the state of heart is that that, that there will be. You know, if if you want your own emerald wall, you you go out and get one. We'll be willing to share, but we won't be forced to. Okay. 
If your child makes you some sentimental item and it's beautiful and you have it displayed, it's your cherished item, and someone comes along and sees it, they're not going to be deceitful and take it from that person without their permission. It's not just a monetary thing. It's just that there is no deceit. You just don't take things from other people because it's written in your heart. In heaven, I think I'm, I'll have a bakery. <laughs> I hope you do. But, but you know, I don't think there'll be a, you know, locksmiths there. No. It's going to be very different in heaven. If all of us sing beautifully, equally the same, then who's going to be wanting to hear somebody else? I love, I love where you're going with this. And the sciences, you know, some that, that's right. will even practice GMO to see what are we going to produce, you know, what are we going to create, what are we going to enhance, what are we going to do. You know, different people are going to do different things. Amen. Would have different likes and different dislikes, different skill sets, different mindsets, and this. I think it's a destructive, um, destructive ideology that God doesn't have any hierarchy in heaven right now. How many of you have ever heard the terms angels that excel in strength? You can read it in Psalms, and it's it's all throughout in the White's writings. Angels who excel in strength. Well, I thought all angels were equal. Sister White says the crowns will be different, but all will be perfectly satisfied. Okay. You know, your crown might be more beautiful than mine, but I'm not going to care. That, that's exactly right. You're going to be happy for it. So the, I'm going to be happy for you. To the turn. I think we're told even spiritually there's going to be different levels. Because when at the resurrection, the thief on the cross will not be... I don't think that we're all magically brought to the same level of truth revelation. Of understanding, yeah. You know, of understanding, and then we'll be pursuing that throughout eternity. And I think that's one of our be one of our chances to give to others is if we have a better understanding through our experience or things like that. I think that's exactly right. I think there will think, there'll be a lot of things angels will be teaching us, and there'll be things we'll be teaching angels, and we will be giving of ourselves to, for the benefit of fallen and unfallen beings. It, this, uh, we have, I think humans have a, a distorted view of the word equality. Yeah. So you're saying that humans have a different view of the word equality because sometimes that is interpreted as mean everyone is the same. Right. But equality does not mean everything is the same. Correct. But you can have variety and there's still being equality. Equality is more everyone has the same opportunities and they have... They have the same worth. Equality, you know, the, the design law treats people equally, it treats all creation equally. Male, female, black, white, rich, poor, um, straight, gay, it doesn't matter. The, the design laws treat us all equally. We, and, and we all have equal worth from, of, from our creator. But we're not the same. There's lots of flowers and they're all different, but they're all allowed to have rain and sunshine. Well said. Some are food, some are just beautiful. Someone back here, I heard a comment back here that was worth repeating in that. It, Please. Uh, the equality does not mean uniformity. Yeah. And so with that. And the other part is the, the crucial difference in heaven being the unselfish heart. That everyone being motivated out of God's love. A love for one another, yes. Love. Amen. Sunday's lesson, stewards in the Old Testament. Just real quick, I, I thought of, listed some qualities uh, of a steward. Trustworthiness, self-governance, patience, hospitality, sensibility, temperance, teachability, 
Any any others you think of? Okay, with that in mind, who comes to mind when when you think of stewards in the Old Testament? Joseph. Throw some names out at me. Joseph, good. Top of my list. Shouldn't have been, but it was. Mm-hmm. Who else? Daniel. Daniel, good. Noah. Noah. Adam. Seth. Job. Job. Melchizedek. Abraham. Moses. Elijah. Yeah. Every Old Testament prophet, I mean, you could list as being a steward of the oracles of God trying to bring uh, Israel and the kingdom of Judah and Benjamin back to a knowledge of God. This is what, this is what stewardship in the Old Testament looked like. Think about how difficult it was for, for those prophets without, without the revelation that we have of Jesus of Nazareth. Think about how difficult that was for them to look through the pagan appeasement mentality of, of all the rest of their countrymen bowing down to idols and cutting themselves and, and, Deviant sexual rights in the in the worship of Ashtoreth and and all the all the filth going on around. Think about how difficult it was for them to see a God of love. So was their stewardship any different than that of Adam and Eve? Isn't the responsibility always to do the best, most precious thing that you can with what is bestowed upon you and what you are um, in charge of, whether that be small or great? With the knowledge that you have at the time, so that each one, as you've already mentioned, their perception may be influenced by the culture that they're in, the the uh, prior experiences that they had, and while there may be varying levels of effectiveness or or approach, doing that dead level best with what they have, as inspired by God. And look at the trajectory of Elisha's life. Elijah, but Elisha, he came from he came from a family of wealth. The scripture said his his father owned many cattle. So he was he was a wealthy man, a bunch of cows. And uh, when Elijah called him, he said, "Yeah, I need to I need to go tell mom and dad goodbye." And Elijah said, "All right, do what you need to do." And the light went on. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna sacrifice the cows and tear up the plow and feed the people, and I'll go with you. And and Elijah gave him little little menial duties along the way to develop his faithfulness, to to, to to shape and develop his character for preparation for a greater work. So yeah, I mean I I'm right on board with you there. Um, but I back to my original question: What were they? What was this any different? Was their stewardship the old the Old Testament stewards was it any different than Adam and Eve's? I don't think so. I think Adam and Eve primary job of stewardship was to reveal the character of God. And this should give you some clue as to what's coming in Monday's lesson, Stewards in the New Testament. First of all, from the lesson, some characteristics of a steward made clear in the Old Testament. First, first the position was a steward. First, the position of a steward was one of great responsibility, referencing Genesis 30, 39 4. Stewards were chosen because of their abilities and received respect and trust from their owners for getting the job done. Second, stewards knew that what they had been entrusted to them belonged to their owner. I think that's well said. This is the supreme difference between a steward and an owner. 
I'm not sure I agree with that, but whatever. Stewards understand their position. Third, when stewards took for their own use what had been entrusted to them, the relationship of trust between them and the owner was broken, and the stewards were dismissed. Uh, any thoughts on this? Were the stewards permanently dismissed? Were they, were they what's another word for less dismissed? Or what's another term for dismissed? Fire. Or? Let go. You've been let go. This, this is, this is, um, and maybe a toned down human relations term for you've been fired. You know, we've we, we, we've had to let you go. Okay. At, at the end, is God going to tell the wicked you've been fired, or you're about to be fired? <laughs> no pun intended. Released to follow or, your own choices. <laughs> I'm letting you go. I'm sorry, with with tears. All right, Monday's lesson: stewards in the New Testament. So, let's name some stewards in the New Testament. Top of the list. Come on. Jesus. Thank you. Jesus of Nazareth. What was he a steward of? The character of God. Revealing the character of God and... Procuring everything. Securing the healing remedy for the broken terminal human condition. He had a job like no other. He had a lot on his stewardship plate. Who are some other ones? Paul. Okay. What about Judas? Was he a steward? He did not choose wisely. He was a poor steward, yes. But but he was he was a steward. And he was also the one with the purse for the disciples. He was the treasurer of, of the the uh, monies that were collected along the way for the uh, advancing of the gospel. He was a steward of the, um, I mean, he walked and talked uh, and communed with Christ for three and a half years. Ananias and Sapphira, they weren't very good stewards. Okay. I can buy, yeah, I can buy. They were, again, failed stewards and were let go. Now think about think about this. How, how how can Jesus be a steward of what's already His? In in, in Sunday's lesson, the, the the lesson suggested there's a difference between steward and an owner, right? Christ created everything we see: the plastic to make these chairs, the 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 material to make the building, the, our materials for our vehicles, uh, the design for life, the the, the ground, the the minerals, the, the air, everything is created for him, through him, and by him. How could he be a steward of that? To set an example for us. Okay, that's, I think that's part of it. Anything else? We're steward of ourselves. Good. Mm-hmm. That hasn't been mentioned yet. Yeah, we, we, we should take some ownership and, and stewardship of our, of our own character and our own development, our own health. Our own compliance with the design law. That's number one. So being fully human and fully God, um, he did take on a stewardship role, and he also had the ownership role. Thinking about you know, the, the owner being a steward and, and um, then giving 
that that ownership giving it away freely does this give us any idea of what a better a better definition of what a steward should be to look out for the care of others and not have it hoarded as selfish yes absolutely okay Susie's lesson stewards of the mysteries of god so according to Paul, and this is in Colossians 2 and 1 Timothy 3 uh, in the lesson, Jesus of Nazareth is the mystery of God. And according to Jesus of Nazareth, God is exactly like Jesus. And this is referencing the entire Gospel of John. Is this, is this some circular reasoning here? Or, or how, how, could, how could God being just as exactly as Jesus uh, revealed him to be, how could that be mysterious? How is that? The, how is that a mystery to the universe? How is God's revealing Himself through Christ a mystery? <clears throat> is that true? Or how's the how how is God's character revealed through Christ? How how was that a mystery? See, because it's beyond our comprehension, it's beyond the mystery <clears throat> is that it's beyond we we can d- dive those depths for eternity. That's the mystery that He is beyond our ability to encompass with our minds. But don't you think the mystery is how can one love so deeply? How can one be with every motive and fiber of their being all about giving unselfish love? I think that's a deeper mystery. Um, My question, though, is according to Paul, this is in Colossians and in Timothy, he says Jesus is the mystery of God. And then according to Jesus himself, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Father and I are one. So this doesn't seem, I mean, Jesus seems to be clearing up part of that mystery. And yet, for many, the idea that God is exactly as Jesus uh, revealed him to be is a mystery. Why? Why is that mysterious? That's because of Satan's lies. Okay, we're on the right track here. For me, it's a mystery because a human being being capable of exposing what God is like. Because humans, by nature, are not capable of doing that. Okay, good. I'm on board with that, too. How did Jesus reveal God to be? One way is he showed God's power through his miracles. Okay. God had demonstrated his power of very clearly to the universe and the creation of the earth and then to the children of Israel and and at numerous times fire on mount sinai hail on you know uh, armies that are getting ready to invade them fire on mount carmel you know more more displays of power in the old testament than you can count but it didn't win it didn't win hearts and minds so yes, he did reveal that God's powerful, but I think humanity was already fairly clear on that. But he also revealed God's promises of an eternal life. By resurrecting people, they saw that God did have the power and the ability and the desire to resurrect our bodies, because he has the power to do that. Okay. And that yep. was his That's... promise, so he revealed God's promise is possible and it's true. 
I agree with that as well. Elijah and Elisha had already resurrected uh, By people healing as well. People. That was like part of that resurrection thing that God promises that we will have no more sickness, no more death. And so he revealed that, that God has the power to do that as well. Okay, good. So what does it show about God's use of, of the power, though? It's for kindness and love. Yeah, that whatever power he has, he uses it for the betterment of his universe. Yeah. Okay. To take care of us because he's our dad. And that's a fundamental difference between the creator, the design God, and every other pagan God construct. Every other pagan God construct that the children of Israel went whoring after, they had one thing in common. What was it? Destructive. Say it louder. Appeasement. Appeasement. Each of these gods needed something to appease their wrath, something to get them to be kind. They needed some sort of gift or sacrifice in order to, in order to be forgiving, in order to make it rain, in order to, um, you know, stop the flood. Whatever the case, they needed appeasement. It's because those uh, pagan gods were kind of. Uh the epitome of what mankind's greatest sin is. Those those pagan gods were egotistical, self-serving, and narcissistic. Okay, I, I can't argue with that. But these are these are the same these are the same uh, character flaws, if you will, that that Lucifer had had imprinted on the create design God. Yeah. This is this is what humanity thought the Creator God was like. The mystery, the mystery that, that Jesus revealed is that God is not is exactly the opposite of every other God construct that the children of Israel and they, or the humanity had considered. Peggy, the appeasement we still have mixed up today. Oh, absolutely. Many churches, absolutely, ours included. We uh, have Jesus paying the Father to save us. It's in it's in Thursday's lesson. Yeah, yeah, and it's so sad. I concur. Yeah, we, we we preach we preach that God's love is conditional, that His forgiveness is conditional, that um, what He revealed that He needs some sort of He needs He still needs a sacrifice, He still needs a blood sacrifice. He doesn't need bulls and and rams and doves anymore because He's got the precious blood of His Son, and now that's being pled, and that appeases His wrath. The, from the lesson, the mysteries of God have been recorded in the Scripture, even though understanding them fully is still beyond our comprehension. That's why they are mysteries. Did God have Scripture recorded simply as a mystery? No. 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 To clear up the mystery. Thank you. It, he inspired men to record Scripture precisely to be comprehended. He inspired them with thoughts and, and let them use human language to communicate divine um, divine principles. And again, it, the scripture exists only because we are where we are in our darkened state. Yes. If we had done what we needed to do, this wouldn't be mysterious and we wouldn't even have needed the scripture. You know what I mean? That's right. I'm not standing here saying that an infinite God will be fully comprehended by finite beings. It, we won't. It won't. It will, like was mentioned before, we'll spend all of eternity plumbing the depths of, of his knowledge, his love, his power, his grace. But scripture was not written to be a mystery thriller. It was written precisely to be comprehended. 
And there's enough information in there to comprehend it. And frankly, if you don't have access to it, the book of nature is, is available to be comprehended by the thoughtful mind. Scripture itself says that uh, through what's being created, men have uh, men should have an understanding. They were the without excuse. Romans 1, what, 18? As well, through each other, we learn and we hear and we have it revealed to us through each other, through the Holy Spirit, either working through another or through us, through our consciences and so on. Yes. He's knowable in many different facets. And we should, we should be, we should be, um, we should be fleshing out, we should be discerning truth through different threads, multiple different threads. We, this is, this, we refer to this as the integrative evidence-based approach. What are the three primary threads? Come on. Scripture. Scripture. Nature. Nature and our own life experiences. Our own understanding about how life works. And our understanding that life is not currently working as designed. This is not how God designed life. God did not design uh, that my for life that my friend should develop ALS and die in 15 months. That was not his design. He did not design funerals. He, this we're, we're living in a we're living in a um, alternate reality. We're living in a different design state. However, there's enough of there's enough information out there for us to be able to com- comprehend the original design state. Wednesday's lesson, Stewards of Spiritual Truth. There are 34,000 different sects of Christianity that consider themselves, quote, stewards of spiritual truth. Are they? And can they be? Rhetorical question. <laughs> Ephesians 6, 13-17, this is a familiar passage. It refers to girding our loins with truth and breastplates of righteousness, shoes of the gospel of peace, shields of faith, helmets of salvation. Um, and we often forget about the the previous couple of verses uh, of 11 through um, uh, 16. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so you'll be able to resist the devil in that evil day, having done everything to stand firm. We often forget, you know, the church, we talk about the church militant and versus the church triumphant. The church militant is not putting tunics with red crosses uh, on your breastplate and marching into the Holy Land and killing Muslims and Jews in the name of God and trying to coerce thought and opinion. This is not this is not the armor of God. This is not the spirit this is not the warfare we're to be engaged in. This is a war of the mind. This is a war of thoughts. This is a war about uh, battles of ideas. This is why the helmet of uh, salvation the helmet of salvation is not going to prevent you from getting a bullet in your head. A literal bullet, it's going to prevent a metaphorical bullet. I think it does as well to remember what the warfare is about. And the end, toward the bottom of um, Wednesday's lesson, the lesson suggests we are stewards of redemption. And I like that term. I couldn't agree more. 
how how are we to be stewards of redemption? Okay, our our job is a little different than Adam and Eve's uh, because Adam Adam and Eve's pre-fall they had nothing to be redeemed about. Post-fall they were to be stewards of redemption as well. How do we be stewards of redemption? Developing that personal relationship and understanding of God and then sharing that with others. Because only by that truth and knowledge and heart relationship and experience and change comes redemption and salvation. Good. Any other thoughts? We have to cooperate with him. A cooperative effort. Okay. Good. So, yeah, we we have a job to do. We have work to be done. Works to be done. Any other thoughts? Stewards of redemption? All right, from the lesson, this is from Education, page 101. Only in the light that shines from Calvary can nature's teaching be read or right. Okay? That's a good one to remember. Only with the filter of God himself being crucified on a cross can we read correctly nature's teaching. Through the story of Bethlehem and the cross, let it be shown how good is to conquer evil. And how every blessing that comes to us is a gift from redemption. Okay, so that, that's that's an Ellen White quote. This is from the lesson, right? Right after that, redemption is ours only because Jesus paid the ultimate price. Paul clearly states, "Quote: In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace." Now, I I don't know how the editor or author got from. Jesus paid the ultimate price from Paul's text in Ephesians. But this is this is still part of that infection that we have uh, in Christianity that there there's some appeasement necessary. There has to be, you know, God has to be appeased. Here, let's offer him the blood of his son. That'll help. All right. I need we need to wrap up here. Um, any other brilliant glimpses of the obvious? <laughs> All right, well, I appreciate your participation. I rely heavily on it, and thank you. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you uh, for your grace and your forgiveness and your matchless love. We ask that you make us better stewards of redemption um, so that we can adequately comprehend the redemption in our lives and we can uh, accurately share it with those who need it and thus hasten your coming. In Jesus' name, amen.